The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. One Sabbath, when he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor, because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. For those who are visiting, my name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy to welcome you in worship today. We are making our way over the next few months through the parables of Jesus today. We're landing in Luke chapter 14. And uh, some of us know this story well, some do not. That's okay. Uh, whoever you are and wherever you are in life, we're just delighted you're worshiping with us. Again, even a warm welcome to those joining us online. Would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of today's message is The Lowest Seat. And I'd like to begin by asking you this question. When you think of humility, what picture comes to mind? According to his Wikipedia profile, he was an American educator, author, order, and advisor to several U.S. presidents. Awarded degrees from Hampton University and Virginia Union University, Booker T. Washington. Was a leading African-American civil rights leader in the late 19th century and early 20th century. The founding president of the Tuskegee Institute, he also authored more than a dozen books. 
Still, none of these accomplishments stopped this gifted man, this gifted leader, from living a life of radical humility. As captured in the Christian devotional, Our Daily Bread, a truly humble man is hard to find. Yet God delights to honor such selfless people. Booker T. Washington, the renowned African-American educator, was an outstanding example of this truth. Shortly after he took the presidency of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town when he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked, she asked him if he would like to earn a few extra dollars by chopping wood for her. Because he had no pressing business at that moment, Professor Washington smiled and rolled up his sleeves and proceeded to do the humble chore of chopping wood. When he had finished, he carried the logs into the woman's house, placed them next to her fireplace. And it's at that point, a little girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. So the next morning, this embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Tuskegee Institute and apologized profusely. It's all perfectly all right, madam, he replied. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. And she took his hand warmly and assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. Not long thereafter, she showed her admiration by persuading some wealthy friends to join her in donating thousands to the Tuskegee Institute. Humility, humility. In a world where pomp and power seem to rule the day, humility seems to be not only a forgotten character trait, but even a despised character trait, right? He's soft. She's quiet. He's weak. We've heard these digs, right? However, listen, the Bible has a lot to say on this subject of humility. And today's passage is all about humility. So as we engage it, here's the invitation, here's the prayer that You will fall deeper in love with Jesus, learning more about him, and also seek to emulate him as you leave this place, as we leave this place. So this leads us to the big idea we're going to unpack from Luke 14. The prideful man looks at the prominent seat, no matter the cost to others. The humble man looks for the lowest seat, no matter the cost to himself. The prideful man looks for the prominent seat, no matter the cost to others. The humble man looks for the lowest seat, no matter the cost to himself. And we're gonna unpack this through three points. Point one, beware of the pull of pride. Point two, beware of the push for position. And point three, behold the goodness of grace. So let's dive into God's word together. Point one, beware of the pull of pride. One Sabbath we read when he went, he being Jesus, to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man who was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. So he took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them, he then asked, which of you whose son or ox 
falls into a well will not immediately pull him out even on the Sabbath day. And again, they could find no answer to these things we read. Friends, it was a setup. It was all a setup. That's what one theologian tells us about this opening scene. Multiple times, you see, Jesus had already healed people on the Sabbath. In fact, in Luke 4, we read of an exorcism account. In Luke 6, we read him healing a man's deformed hand. And uh, we read of a crippled woman being healed in Luke 13. So the first thing we need to see here to understand our text is that this was not an accidental setting. No, it was a setup. It was a setup. Look at the language. One Sabbath when he, Jesus, went to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were what? Watching him closely. Another translation puts it like this. They were watching his every move. In other words, these Pharisees, these leaders in the Jewish camp had set a trap. Full of pride, they wanted to expose Jesus for veering off their understanding of the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, all while validating themselves publicly. And they even go as far as to set some bait in their trap. What do I mean, set some bait? Look at this. The leaders had gone as far as to plant bait in the form of a man, a very sick man, a man that was swollen with excess fluid, what historians tell us was uh, something called dropsy, which would have been a fatal diagnosis. And somehow, mysteriously, in this Pharisee's house, who's right in front of Jesus but this very sick man? So that's the opening scene to our passage. Religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus, expose him, breaking the law or breaking their understanding of the law. So what happens? Well, in an ironic twist... It's these leaders and not Jesus who get caught in the trap. It's these leaders who get exposed. When asked by Jesus if they would rescue their own sons if he fell in a well or a pit, they say nothing. So why not rescue or heal this man? To which again, they say nothing. Oh, the danger of pride, right? Oh, the danger of comparing ourselves to one another, looking down on one another, judging one another, talking bad about one another, or like these men are trying to do, even to seek to cancel one another. Note, Jesus doesn't do any of these things. Only the prideful do. And these are church folk, people. At least church folk in the first century. So again, first, beware of the pull of pride. That's what we see in our passage. Now, before moving to point two, there's another significant theological truth or point I want us to see so that we don't fall into this pitfall of pride. Here it is. Righteousness in the eyes of God is not found in some perfection of the will or Jedi-like realignment of our souls. No, a right, a righteousness in the eyes of God is understood as a right relationship with God that then displays itself in a right relationship or a loving relationship with our neighbor. It's about right relationship, proximity and alignment with God, who he is, not some superpower within each one of us. Stated differently, righteousness is all about a life saved by grace that then deals in grace. Nothing more, nothing less. And we'll speak more to this in just a minute. Just know that righteousness is all about grace played out in relationship. 
and they were missing it. So point one, beware of the pull of pride. Point two, beware of the push for position. Lily, beware for the push for position. All right, a little story, a little confession. Do you guys remember March and April of 2020? It was awful. I remember watching the news, getting texts from some of you guys, and it was like we were, we were watching a sci-fi movie playing out right in front of us. And I also remember working endless nights, all-nighters with our staff to make sure we are caring for and connecting with you. I remember that. Do you know what else I remember? The worldwide run on toilet paper. You remember that? Worldwide run on toilet paper. Some of you stocked up early. You know who you are? And I don't know what's wrong with you, and I don't know what's wrong with us, but this really happened. It was early 2020, uh, excuse me, April 2020, right at the start of the pandemic in Sorensen International, bringing it to my engagement with this problem. Sorensen International was running out of TP. I remember watching the news and seeing these empty shelves and going like, can this really be happening, right? And it was really happening. So being the caring and considerate man and husband that I am, unbeknownst to my wife, I got up early one day and made my way to Target in Mount Pleasant. Target, Mount Pleasant. And I stood before those giant doors, right? And I created the line. And guess who was first in line? Me. I was first in line that day. So during all that hysteria at One Fellowship, I was in front of Target, first in line. And as soon as the doors opened, Moultrie, I walked really fast, or maybe I ran, and I wasn't alone. We all, there's a whole group of us doing this fast walk to the toilet paper section of Target, Mount Pleasant. So as we stampeded to the toilet paper section, I saw all these signs. Some of you were with me. I know some of you were there. You can only buy one pack per family. Do you remember that? And I was like, wow, this is harsh. Uh, nonetheless, I was on a mission. So I got to the TP section and with my, uh, whatever, seven foot wingspan, I grabbed the, the highest, biggest pack I could, 12, a 12 pack of some no name brand. And then I walked, I turned and went back to the front of Target with this awkward, prideful gait. Like I did it, right? I did it. I got the toilet paper for the family. And uh, I'd like to say uh, that's where the story ended, but it's not. Danny, Megan, it's not. You see, I checked out, went to my truck, and then I thought, I need to take a, a picture of my toilet paper and send it to my wife. You know, get some, get some love from the wife. And, and I, I sent it, and, and I thought to myself, she's going to really love me. She's going to love me. Instead, here's the text I received. Babe, was that the only brand available? I thought to myself, Carly, what? So I texted back. I was like, Carly, I got us a 12-pack. Be thankful. <laughs> to which she replied, I am thankful, but that brand barely qualifies as toilet paper. <laughs> it's super thin. It disintegrates. Were there other brands available? And guess what, One Fellowship? She was right. That toilet paper was dreadful. Anyway, right in that moment, I got out of my truck and humbly made my way back into Target to exchange my 12-pack of toilet paper. And guess what? They were sold out. They were sold out. In other words, even though I was first in line that morning because of my pride and impatience and ignorance, I ended up with the worst result. 
Oh, the danger of the me monster. Oh, the danger of running or angling or doing whatever we can to get a better position in life, even or especially when it's detrimental to others. Beware of the push for position. Returning to our passage, he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, he said, don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that one, the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. In the words of Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privilege are long forgotten. Those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privilege are long forgotten. Jonathan, humility, humility. Eric, humility is the way of Jesus. Yet how often, let's be honest, how often do we miss this, friends? How often in our thirst for honor or affirmation or even provision do we push others out of the way to get to the front of the line, the lead seat, some upward trajectory in our lives? Let me ask, have you ever done that before? Perhaps you're in a state of doing that now. Look, church, God loves hard work. That's clear in scripture. He honors excellence. But what Jesus is teaching here in our passage is to beware of the lust for power. Beware of our bent to push for position, even if it means doing it loudly or oh so subtly, even in the church, in dishonoring another. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, Jesus teaches that the lowest seat is paradoxically the most honorable seat in God's eyes. So point two, beware of the push for position. And point three, behold the goodness of grace. The passage concludes, he, Jesus, also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back. You'll be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the, at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, let me clear something up here. Jesus is not saying we shouldn't have dinners or gatherings with family members or friends. That's not what he's saying. How do we know that? Because he had gatherings and dinners with people like Mary and Martha. No, what Jesus is getting at here is that God's grace is meant to be extravagant, absolutely extravagant, cost nothing, and be available to everyone. The grace of God is meant to be extravagant, cost nothing, and be available to everyone. So what does this mean in the context of our text in Jesus's day? Well, in his day, hospitality and generosity came with strings attached. 
They came with strings attached. You do this for me, Mac, I'll do this for you. You put in a good word for me, I'll put in a good word for you. That was the expectation, the understanding. Thus, relationships were transactional. They were transactional. And yet such a paradigm creates a problem, right? Because of the me monster. I know, amen. <laughs> Given our human nature, this transactional paradigm ends up stepping on people and hurting people. Everything becomes political and it's exhausting. Moreover, listen, it often leads people in the dark or in the cold, right? If you have little to offer, sorry friend, there's no room for you here. There's no room for you at this table. It's awful. Well, in the face of this reality, Jesus says, I see you, friend. In fact, I see every one of you, powerful and powerless. And guess what? Church, it's time we flip the script. It's basically what he says. It's time we flip the script. When you throw a party, invite anyone and everyone and freely give with no strings attached. Invite anyone and everything, everyone with no strings attached. Be radically generous and hospitable. That's what Jesus is saying. So how could, how could he dare say that? Especially in the face of these religious leaders. Was he some new revolutionary philosopher? Was, was he some incredible moral teacher? I got a little charismatic baby in the room. You're fine. Or was he some Middle Eastern hippie? Was he? No, Jesus was so much more than that. If you've checked out, please check in right now. Listen, friends, Jesus came to not only give us his words, he came to give us his life. Jesus came to take the lowest seat. He came to take your lowest seat. That place, that pain, that rejection, even that utter failure in your life, he came to sit in that seat. His life for your life, his love for your redemption, that's why Jesus came. To the church in Philippi, the apostle Paul would write, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Ephesians 1, we're told God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him what great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. The cross is all about grace. Jesus is all about grace. Jesus taking the lowest seat for you and for me, which changes everything and welcomes everyone, including our sworn enemy, to his table. Grace. Behold the goodness of grace. To conclude, I want to share a story from this last week. A few of us had the privilege of going to London to the HTB or Alpha Leadership Conference, where over 6,000 people from around the world gathered to learn about Jesus, pray to Jesus, worship Jesus together. There were people from Africa, Asia, South America, and beyond, and there were people from every different Christian faith tradition, Protestant. Catholic, Coptic, Orthodox, 
Pentecostal. And it was beautifully diverse. So in this story where we were meeting in something, a place called Royal Albert Hall, someone in the first service who's a Beatles fan gave me some quote about Royal Albert Hall. I, I, I don't listen to the Beatles, but Jesus still loves me. <laughs> but I guess the Beatles talked about Royal Albert Hall. It's this beautiful, beautiful venue. And uh, we were blessed to somehow sit on the floor of Royal Albert Hall and worship the Lord together with 6,000 other believers from around the world. And uh, behind us in the last row, in what amounted to be the last seat in our section, sat a little East Londoner who was about 75 to 80 years old. When I met him, uh, he told me his name was Derek. I never grabbed, I never learned his last name. But his, his name was Derek, about 75, 80 years old, sitting in the last seat. And I'll never forget Derek. Here's why. Every time we prayed or sang a song, we would hear him sing above and beyond the 6,000 people around us, more, Lord. We just want more of you, Lord. Yes, Lord. You're all we need. It's wonderful, Lord. It's wonderful, Lord. More, Lord. That's what we need. Yes, Lord. It's wonderful. And guess what? Yes, there were great speakers. There was incredible worship. But little Derek, little old Derek, this East Londoner, ministered to me. Honestly, I don't even think he could see the front because Drew and I were in front of him. We're giants. I don't, th I don't, think, he could, I don't think he could see. But he carried the presence of the Lord. And you know what, church? When I, when I returned, I couldn't help but think, that man, in his words, really ministered to me. And here's the deal. As I grow up and grow older in my faith, I want to be like little Derek. I want us to be like little Derek, boldly taking the last seat so a giant like me or Drew or others can have a more advanced seat. I want to be that guy who says, yes, Lord, more of you and less of me. Yes, Lord, more of you and less of me. How does that sound, church? What if we dared to take the last seat, praising God all the way till we sat down in that place? Grace, grace, descending into the greatness of Jesus's grace. The prideful man looks for the prominent seat no matter the cost to others. The humble man looks for the lowest seat no matter the cost to himself. May the grace of Jesus transform our lives and transform our church as we live out our mission together in the days to come. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace as presented, offered, secured in Jesus. Thank you for uh, taking the last seat, the lowest seat, the worst seat, Thank you for your redemption. We pray for more. We, we pray that you would saturate us with your love this morning. <sighs> some of us are carrying some heavy burdens. May we know that we don't carry these burdens alone. You're so bold as to take the last seat and to care for us right where we are. So care for us, Lord. Care for those we love. Care for us in our hurting places. Care for us where we failed. And we, may we be so bold as to be humble, not exalting ourselves, but to exalt you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.